more, I have one more chance to not ruin this machine. Uh, if you're getting some kind of you know mental health support or counseling or whatever, those medical records will show some deep things that may be in there. Can you guess what item of personal data is the most or for sale on the dark markets? Just do something. Doing nothing is no longer an option. Welcome to the Safety Net Podcast by Arc Cyber. My name is Josh Lewis, and I'm your host and producer. And with me, as always, I have Sean Artizone, who is the CEO and co-founder of Arc Cyber. Uh, and he, you know, I said co-founder. I feel like <laughs> because because John Woo. I, I I I feel yeah. I think because of John Woo, and I always think about how Megan. Uh, yeah, said, I mean, really, everything. So, anyways, Megan is Sean's wife. So, anyways, yeah. uh, but he is also the genius hacker brains and heart of the podcast. And today, if you are listening on audio, I will put this in the show notes because you are going to want to watch this episode. Because, Lord willing, you're going to see some really cool things. Because we're going to talk today about when it's too late with cyber attacks. So say you get hacked, what do you do? And so Sean, let's let's just get right into it cuz we want to give you as much time as possible, but what let's start out with what kinds of cyber attacks are most common for families mm. and how do they happen? So to kind of tell you what is, you know, most common with families, I think we'll just kind of take the the global most common cyber attacks and we'll just kind of run through those. And so there you know there's a there's a list of just the things that everything is that's going on in the world and fa- you know families aren't necessarily exempt from them, but just to give everybody kind of an understanding of the of what the the 10 most common types uh, of attacks are. And so uh, CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity firm, fantastic uh, platform uh, and enterprise and uh, the the federal space. They work in all all areas of the world. And so they have a report that they published that shows that highlights basically the 10 most common types of cyber attacks. And so I'll just, I'll be kind of quoting from their list, but they're a legitimate source. You can look them up at uh, crowdstrike.com. Uh, so number one is in the world. This is just everything. 10 most common types of cyber attacks. And starting with number 10 is what's called an IoT-based attack. IoT mm-hmm. stands for Internet of Things. If you have an Alexa, if you have a Google um, a Google Mini, if you have a Google Chromecast, if you have a Fire TV stick or a smart therm- thermometer or a smart washer and dryer, those are all things that are on the Internet. And so IoT-based attacks that kind of falls into it. Now, industry may have some similar technologies that they, they've deployed in their environment, like smart thermometers, building controls, SCADA type things that, you know, when somebody walks into a room, all the lights come on, it's motion detected. Then they walk out, then the lights go out because they're trying to maintain energy efficiency. They may have, you know, all kinds of different types of IoT things. So enterprise level IoT is very similar to the uh, IoT that a person would find in their home. Uh, DNS tunneling, domain name services. So domain name, I've explained this before. If you have DNS, basically what DNS is, is if I say, hey, everybody that's watching this podcast, come to Sean Artizone's house. If you don't know my physical address, you have to convert my name or the the term Sean Artizone's house to an address to be able to, to turn that into numbers that you can then send over uh, to your you know navigation device to get here. Uh, but people that know me already know how to convert those name that name to numbers, and they can just show up without looking it up, without doing anything. DNS basically does the same thing. It takes a name, 
google.com, crowdstrike.com, facebook.com, whatever, and converts it to IP address numbers, usable IP addresses that the computer can use. And so DNS tunneling is, is a, a way, is the number nine way, uh, number nine common type of attack that things can happen. And so DNS tunneling, I won't bore you with all the details of it. If you're interested and you want to know what that is, you can go look it up. The number eight uh, most common type of cyber attack is an insider threat. So this is prevalent in organizations, it's uh, uh, government, but it's also prevalent in your own house. Uh, and you may not even realize you have an insider threat. If you have a user that's sitting on a computer doing things and they are intentionally looking at harmful content, and remember harmful content covers an entire array of just things that can be bad. That person has brought a threat inside your environment. And so you have an insider threat. Now, the, the way that it is defined in government or enterprise, it could be a person, a, you know, a rogue spy that is hired to to bring on, you know, to, to do damage from inside. They could, you know, be gaining access to files and share drives and folders and things that they shouldn't have. So the way that it looks could be different for a home user versus an organization, but there is still the potential. Supply chain attacks, uh, not so common in, you know, in the home environment. However, still possible based on, you know, you, you may, you know, interact with Kroger, you may interact with Walmart, you may interact with some things that you're bringing into your, to your home from a, a vendor type perspective. So if you buy, if you buy this, you know, next gen router that's sold on Amazon and all of a sudden it's got all these back doors, uh, to your technology, that's a supply chain attack. Mm -hmm. But you've now introduced something from a vendor into your environment that has caused uh, a breach or whatever. Code injection attacks, a lot of, uh, sorry, that was number uh, seven, supply chain attacks. Number six is code injection attacks. Most families are not gonna find this in their own environment. Enterprise and, and uh, industry that creates their own web pages, their own apps, their mm -hmm. own dev, type things, they will discover and, and be subjected to potential code injection attacks. Identity-based attacks and spoofing uh, are five and four. Number three is phishing. A lot of people know what phishing is. You see these emails come in all the time. Hey, I have a an uncle. You're the you're the now inheritant of you know millions of dollars. It, it the the way that it looks changes. It varies across the the, the spectrum. One of the most current ways and successful ways now is phishing through like Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, all the platform messaging, DM messaging platforms where they're fit, they're sending out a legitimate looking message to the user saying, hey, this is platform support. You violated our T's and C's and now we're going to cancel your account. If you want to remediate this, go ahead and follow these steps. Here's a legitimate looking page which is a parked domain. We talk about some of those that they're no longer parked. Now they're using the domain for malicious intent. So they they fished you, they got you to go to that domain. You've entered your valid credentials. They then log in with your account and wreak havoc on your life. So phishing is the number three. Denial of service attacks. Denial of service attacks are either whether they're coming from like IP packet flooding or they're just simply locking you out of your account. Any type of, and this is the number two, any type of attack that denies the lawful user's access to their service can fall mm -hmm. under the DOS attack. Now there's a distributed denial of service, which is where basically a botnet. And if you read in any of the cyber news in the last couple of days, you noticed the FBI made a huge announcement regarding the dismantling of a, a massive botnet. Um, I'll, we'll put that link in the, the show notes here so you can go check out that. Uh, uh, hats off to the FBI for taking down a massive uh, global botnet that was just wreaking havoc on people's lives. But a distributed denial of service uses things like botnets to just flood the server 
with requests that it can't handle. And, it, and at the point where it can't handle it, the server stops taking requests and legitimate users now that are sending legitimate requests can no longer access that device, hmm. access that resource, access that service, whatever it may be. But that's another form of denial of service. So it's, it literally is in the name uh, for number two. So number one, the number one most common uh, type of cyber attack is malware. And so malware, everybody, I'm sure you're familiar with that term. You've heard it. Uh, hopefully you've heard it. Hopefully that word is not new to your life, but malware is the number, number one, according to CrowdStrike's 10 most common types and stick around. Cause at the end of our, our conversation here, I'm actually going to detonate malware live in and on a windows machine. So you don't want to miss that. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, and so I look forward to being able to show you these things. So talking about uh, your question, what are most common with families and how do they happen, Josh? That is, according to CrowdStrike.com, that is the 10 most common that happen to everybody. Okay. Just where you fall, if you're an enterprise, a federal or a government agency, nation state or a person, we can drill down and focus on what happens more likely what happens to home users. So. Great. Yeah, I think that's helpful. So yeah, talk, talk to me specifically about because um, you, you did a little bit of like, okay, like code injection, probably not exactly something that uh, will happen to most families, but mm -hmm. like uh, phishing for sure, malware, like those kinds of things for sure. Yeah. What what are some of those? Uh, let, let's talk more specifically. Yeah, then about what are the things that like, I might face or a regular person family might face. Yeah. So I, I took some of the, the data points from CrowdStrike's information and I cross-referenced with another uh, great source that's Trend Micro. Trend Micro has been around for a long time. A lot of people are familiar with the name. They had have or had an antivirus platform for a long time. And, and so they've published a list that basically drills down and gives more specifics into the common threats that home users would face. And they actually provide some uh, good information on actually how to defend against them, which we'll kind of touch on these here. According to trendmicro.com, the number one issue that home users are going to face as far as uh, cyber attacks is going to be ransomware. It's currently the most damaging threat to ordinary users. This kind of malware, and it's a form of malware, it's malicious software, and the word shrunk down to malware. But that um, this type of software, ransomware, is designed to take all of the files of the user everything that they can reach from that moment that they have rights to the machine and encrypt it and then lock it with a key that the only way you get those files unlocked is if you pay some extortionate amount of money, usually hundreds of dollars to the attacker to have them with no guarantee unlock the files that they've now encrypted. So this, this business became so lucrative that the ransomware attackers actually set up a no kidding customer service hotline where you could message the attacker, pay your support, and they would walk you through the process of unlocking what? and then ask you for a feedback survey when it was done. It just like, are you kidding me? Like they, they turned that is insane. criminality into a legitimate business model and, and provided wow. a service desk for support. It's just ridiculous. So ransomware, if, if you've been a victim of ransomware, you know, as a home user, the the possibility of getting your files back because of the number the amount of money that they charge three to five hundred dollars per user but they want it in bitcoin most home users haven't even ventured into the bitcoin world if they have 
it just presents a whole nother realm of danger. So what ends up happening is they wipe their drives and just kind of start over. So it's, it's a big, it's very damaging, especially if they have, you know, tons of family records and, you know, pictures and just all the stuff that the, the disruption, it's like getting your home broken into. It's, it's that, that violation kind of feeling. And so ransomware can be delivered by going to unknowingly malicious sites. You can open a, a malicious email. You can run an executable that you think is legitimate. You can go download some free software and end up giving yourself the malware. It may not even just be a hacker. Just, you know, they just put it out there and people are going fishing in the wrong ponds. So ransomware is a big deal. That's uh, that's the number one, according to Trend Micros. The next is going to be identity theft and the value of your personal data. So when the, mm -hmm. when the hackers, if the hackers can gain access to your identity and to your personal data, there's actually a study that was published according, and it's in this uh, Trend Micro, we'll post the link for this, where you can actually go read it. And I've just kind of shortened it down into some little bullets here, but they actually placed a, a, a monetary value on a, a bunch of this stuff that belongs to individuals, their personal data, basically. Uh, can you guess what, what, item of personal data is the most expensive that are for sale on the on the dark markets social hmm. security number social security number you would think you would think the social security number would would rank number would rank the highest but it actually didn't there's actually a few things that rated a little bit higher uh you want to take another guess uh phone number i don't know <laughs> yeah, phone like... number is important especially with uh, sim swapping attacks which we talked about i think on the previous previous yeah. episode uh, but the number the number one uh valued personal data item is passwords and so if i don't have to break your password wow. and i can just use your password then that's that saves me a ton of time brute forcing attacks they're called if i if i take a dictionary of just every english word of every you know foreign word whatever word i'm whatever i'm focusing on if i take a dictionary and just put all the words in it and that dictionary can break your password your password's too weak so what did we do we created password complexity policies and password complexity rules that a lot of these uh, services are providing and telling us, hey, your password's too weak. So we've thrown mm. an exclamation point here, an at symbol right. there, maybe a one, two, three or whatever. Yes. Uh, to, to, but but just, uh, just as well as I know that, every hacker in the world knows that. And so they're, now the dictionary's gotten bigger. So now instead of letters and, and numbers, right, or words and numbers with one, two, three and an exclamation, now we have to use uh, more special characters and don't make them dictionary words. If you, if your password still has a, a word in it that, that a diction that you can find in a dictionary, that's a weak password because that dictionary will then just use a permutation, stick a few numbers here and there, stick a few, you know, things, and they can make these, these dictionaries petabytes large. So these are massive dictionaries of every possible guest. So the, the complexity of the password has reduced the ability of a brute forcing attack to happen, happen quickly. And typically the types of supercomputers and heavy duty you know, multi uh, uh, super purpose computers that can do that kind of processing using petabytes of data to, to run against an, a machine um, has been mitigated by, you know, you, you get three password guesses and then your account's locked you get, you know, three password guesses in an hour and then your account's disabled. So there's some brute forcing mitigation attacks that have been brought into place to reduce that, that possibility. Uh, but it doesn't stop, you know, the, the regular account that doesn't have any of those things from being brute force. So if I can just use your password, mm -hmm. I'm in. And so that's why it has the highest value. So if they can break into a thing and steal a database of passwords, those are worth $75.80 
per password, according to this study. Uh, the next highest value is going to be your health info and medical. And uh, that's rated at about 59, about 60 bucks a, a per a record. U.S. Mm. respondents actually gave it a higher rating than the European um, uh, respondents did. Americans uh, said that their medical uh, records and info are worth about $82 per record. And Europeans said they're roughly about $35. So Now, now real quick, had, are, are you saying these are hackers that are saying that information that's is what worth they pay that to, receive to me? It. Yes. Okay, exactly. I'm tracking. Yeah, okay. if you have a database full of passwords, I'll pay you 75 bucks a password. If you have a database full of health records, I'll pay you 60 bucks a password, basically, or a, a record, basically. Okay. Yeah. And so can you, can you take a stab at why you think health info and medical records are of sig significant value? Why Man. they would pay, you know, 60 bucks a record? Uh, I don't know. I, I like, I, th I feel like there's, there's like, there, there's just different things I feel like attached with that. Mm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So you're right. The, 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 the array of what can be done with a medical record is, is pretty wide, but what I've seen and heard and read is that if I can, if I can know what's going on in your medical, I can actually extort you. I can blackmail you, especially if your uh... medical records have any type of mental treatment right? You've disclosed things into your mental records. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're getting some kind of, you know, mental health support or counseling or whatever, those medical records will show, you know, some deep things that may be in there. Uh, also, I can, you know, maybe you've kept a, you know, an HIV secret from your family and I can extort mm -hmm. you. I'm going to release this, make this public, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so many types of things can be used to leverage that person into, into, into paying. Uh, sure. And so if I can buy those records on the dark, web and use them against, you know, the, the person that's basically what they're, what they're thinking. So mm -hmm. then, uh, the next highest is going to be social security numbers. That, that was uh, your guess. So at rated three, you made it into the top five in your guess, which is good. Yes. And that's kind of where you'd expect social security numbers <laughs> right. to fall in the, in the higher tiers. And it does, it's number three. Sure. Social security numbers are rated according to trend micro about $55 and 70 cents per social security number. So if they can get a hold of a valid database of that, that's what um, what they're going to get. U.S. citizens, uh, uh, Japanese citizens, and European citizens all roughly – actually, sorry, U.S. citizens and Japanese citizens rated them about 45 to $43 per record, whereas Europeans, they dropped theirs to about $20. Their value um, for the people mm. willing to buy them dropped it to about 20 bucks. Uh, your purchase history – uh, came in next after social security numbers, your physical location information, your uh, home address, things like that. Uh, those came next and they, they went from a hist purchase history to $20 a record, uh, physical location to about $16 a record, and your home address down to about $12 per record. So mm -hmm. the interesting thing was, was with the physical location, um, U.S. citizens the respondents, people who responded said, yeah, I'd pay this much for it. U.S. respondents said they would pay roughly $40 per record, whereas uh, Japanese and European citizens said, nah, it's only about four to five bucks per record. So th they don't really place that high of a value on it, whereas the U.S. respondents to this um, survey said they'd pay about 40 bucks to know where somebody actually is. And you can see that in those. There's tons of those like locator services that you find online when you type in somebody's name. That's roughly you know, kind of what they're looking for. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. not so much open source intelligence. You can do public re record search and find, but you have to know some specifics to get, you know, uh, 
things that aren't necessarily public records. So, but American right. American respondents placed that at about forty dollars, uh, almost ten times more than Japanese and European citizens placed physical mm -hmm. locations. So, yeah, home address uh, fared about the same between U.S. consumers and Japanese consumers. Uh, European, same. They were about five bucks a, a person. It's about three times more between U.S. and Japanese. They rated it. Photos and videos, uh, U.S. Uh, leading the way again, uh, $26 <laughs> per per record, whereas Japanese and European mm -hmm. citizens, about five bucks. And your marital status uh, made the made the list. Um, wow. $8 a record. Japanese citizens actually rated this one higher, uh, nearly double than the U.S. and European citizen value. Japanese mm -hmm. citizens say this is about $12, $13 per record, whereas U.S. and European citizens say, eh, it's only about six bucks to know if I'm married or not. So, wow. uh, and then name and gender, they were the least valued on the the database information at about three bucks a record. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of things that they're after. So identity, there, there's a market for, you know, things that, that the, the uh, hacker underworld wants to know about us. And so identity theft is going to be the next most common, according to Trend Micro's uh, list here, the next most common type of attack. So hmm. identity theft, um, data breaches is, is third on their list. And so data breaches basically is, is any form of unintended access to your personal private data that you, that the, well, that you didn't intend unintended access that you didn't intend kind of <laughs> right. memo from the department of redundancy department. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So more of our personal information is being stored by uh, companies like Amazon, Apple, yep. Facebook, all, anywhere we put our stuff, our data goes on. And so the breach may not necessarily be something in our home, but something we access from our home and allow to be stored elsewhere. And so you see it all the time. Facebook just announced, you know, I don't know if it was a year ago or whatever, three or 30 million records uh, of, of their users' data uh, left on an open um, development server somewhere and literally included names, passwords, phone numbers, email, basically the cornucopia of data that the jackpot, the vault, right. uh, left it out there, how we should have looked it up for this one, but it was a massive data breach. Target had a massive data breach. Uh, John Wu on our, our, our uh, previous guest just reposted the uh, Las Vegas casino had yeah. their entire uh, yeah thing breached and, and stolen and this, that all from an IOT thermos, uh, thermostat that was in a fish tank. They have a, they have <laughs> a, an internet connected thermostat that they had connected to, if you read the story, this is basically the breakdown. They had a, a thermostat in a fish tank that was connected to a computer that that computer had administrative privileges to the casino's network. And they were able to pivot through the network to find resources and things that they shouldn't have had access to, stole a bunch of data. And a lot of the patrons of those of that casino, their information was exposed, including their credit card numbers and all that kind of stuff. Massive, massive data breach. So the, the home user itself wasn't, necessarily the victim the home wasn't the victim but the person who lived there had their data somewhere else and so data breaches are are quite uh common according to trend micro here and i and i would tend to agree with them that's in the top five malicious or harmful content um you know it could be pornographic or whatever but it's some type of harmful ad malicious ads um makes their number four and so advertising is everywhere everywhere you go you're going to see ads you're going to see Hey, buy my thing and do this. And, and even this kind of show is an advertisement for my services. And so there's a, there's a good way to do ads and then there's, you know, a malicious way to do ads. And so what, what happens is because these platforms are providing 
a path for the advertiser to submit their ad, they're, they're really kind of monetarily incentivized to just look the other way. Now the ad has to follow their guidelines, but there's nobody watching the ad that gets published. There's just an algorithm that confirms whether this ad meets the guidelines. And as long as they kind of mask the ad, they publish it, they're spending that money and they're allowing the ads to go out because that, you know, that revenue, that company is all about making revenue. Ads are a form of revenue for Facebook, for Twitter, for all these platforms, all these social media platforms, ads are a form of revenue for them. So that they don't have a person going, yep, this ad is approved. Yep, this ad is approved. They have mm -hmm. an algorithm checking it. And so they've learned how to beat the algorithm to get their harmful content containing ad past the algorithm and out into the world. Now, it's only a matter of time before somebody says, this ad is hosting some kind of harmful content. This ad is, is you know, doing this and doing that and people start reporting it then a, you know a person now scrutinizes the ad and goes oh come on man and then they delete right. it then potentially that person that launched the ad their ad account gets banned or gets kicked from the platform then they just create a new fake email a new whatever and they stand up and then they use the stolen credit cards that they gathered from those databases and purchase more ads and the whole cycle continues so we are exposed to ads everywhere but what this what trend is talking about is malicious ads and you may see them appear on the side of your browser experience. You may see them appear, you know, just in, in a pop-up on your phone that you're watching at the bottom of the, you know, maybe the bottom of your TikTok, you'll see a little ad and it'll be suggestive or it'll, it'll say something and then you click on it and it takes you to a, you know, full on pornographic video. And so that is what they're referring to. Some of them not only having that type of stuff, but they'll have, they'll have malicious code. And once you click that, it's almost like the code then injects a, a hook into your session and starts to try to siphon any data it can. If you don't have your device currently patched, presently patched, and they found an exploit that they can inject into there, then that, you know, they begin now the work of looking for deeper vulnerabilities. So, and now one of the, I think they're pretty cool from a, from a red team perspective. Like I like that these tools exist because they help us, you know, guys like me do our job fine and secure and fix these, but these are called rats, remote access tools. And you see, if you watch any of the YouTube's uh, YouTube hero takes down scammer, Basically, what they are doing, what these scammers are doing and what the anti-scammers are doing is they're, they're sending remote access tools, remote administration tools um, to these, to the victims or the scammers, which I guess in that case would be the victim, the victim. It's like a, a shooting a criminal um, and now he's the victim because he, he got shot. Uh, for, right, right. Know. Yeah. So breaking the law to break to get lawbreakers, right? Uh, whatever. <laughs> right, right. So, a whole other discussion. But anyway. Yes. Yeah, remote access tools. It's a form of malware, right? But there are tools that are designed with good intent. So you you can remote to a desktop. And uh, that, that, this is what I do with some of my clients. So some of the clients are like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. Can you just do this for me? Yes, I will use a remote access tool. I will then control your mouse. I will make the the necessary security changes and do a legitimate legitimate business purpose with that tool. And so they just, they're like, Hey, these tools are great because they're designed with the intent to allow significant control over that machine by the developer because people are like, Oh yeah, I don't actually have to come sit down at your desk to fix the problem. I can, I can sit in, you know, my house over here and you can sit in your house and we can have, you know, it's like we're in the same room. 
wow, I love this. And so they take these same tools and they use them against potential victims. So that's, that is the fifth most common. I think that's the end of trends list uh, for what, what a, what a home user would find. Okay. So like you said, we've got identity theft stuff, um, ransomware, we have uh, data breaches, malicious, harmful content ads, and remote access tools. Mm -hmm. So how about you show us a little bit of what some malware might might look like uh in case uh, hopefully none of you ever ever experience this beyond watching this video however uh if you do yeah sean would would you just show us that demonstration you were talking about yeah i've been super excited about this so i want to give a shout out to the cyber mentor so as a as an ethical hacker pen tester i have to i have to maintain my skill set i have to do a lot of continual education training, a lot of things that just require me to learn more, delve deeper and get more experience. And so I have taken a ton of their, the Cyber Mentors courses, TCM. Um, and so we'll put the link to that. But uh, this this specific course I was taking is a, a forensic and malware analysis course. And so as I was going through uh, the, the instructor in that course, you can look him up, um, we'll put his information in here too. But as I was going through, he kind of started to explain, you know, all right, we're gonna detonate a live piece of malware here. And, you know, uh, hopefully you're, you're having the same type of butterfly in your stomach feeling that I'm having. And I, I no kidding was, I was like, I'm about to detonate live malware. Like, this is crazy. It felt, it felt like, oh my gosh. And so, yeah, this is a fantastic course. If you're if you're interested in cybersecurity, the Cyber Mentors stuff is just so incredibly like relevant to the to the cyber world. If you have a little hacker that wants to learn, go to their the, their website. Go to TCM. We'll have it in the show notes, and you can you can get there. But their 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 courses are absolutely incredible. The people there are absolutely incredible. They have a Discord server where they talk with you. They actually interact with the students. They provide actual mentorship and even like job searching. And I'm, I'm, I'm ending up doing a commercial for the cyber mentor. And I, I don't intend to, <laughs> right. but they're so they're really really great. They're they're great people. So anyway, all right, off of that. So this this piece of uh, malware. This is the actual WannaCry uh, malware. This is it right here. And so now, it doesn't. Wait, what uh-huh. is is WannaCry like a famous one? It is. I guess. It's okay. a super famous right. one, yeah. Uh, is a, a legitimate full piece of malware. If I were to drag this out of this environment and put this on my desktop, this would do what the creators of this piece of malware intended it to do. And this is, they call it wanna cry because when you detonate this on your system, it makes you wanna cry. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty, it's kind of like- I'm nervous. Yeah, I, I know. Like, you feel like, it, right? Even just watching it. you do this, yeah. I know this is a secure, <laughs> supposedly environment, but yeah, me, I'm like nervous watching you Let me check my settings this. just to make sure, because I did make a, I did make a uh, network change so that I could update some settings. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So I'm on an internal network. This network is isolated from my environment. It cannot get out to me. <laughs> I say that. Uh, He's double checking. Yeah, wow. This is good, right? Yeah, like, it is. It. I mean, this is like, this is handling a, a very dangerous piece of software. And so what you may find in your experience is you click a link, you open a page, whatever, and uh, you're going to see what this looks like when we detonate this piece of malware here. And so you'll, you'll be kind of like anticlimactic maybe, I don't know. So 
enough uh, delaying. This this is a live piece of malware. Drum roll. Yep. I want you guys to focus. See, this is um, this is the instructor's picture of his cat. It's a great picture. But uh, here we go. We are gonna we are gonna detonate this, and we're gonna do it with administrator privileges. Just so I tell people. And like I'm like kind of hovering over the trigger here. Like, <laughs> just don't click it yet. I tell people all the time, you do not want to live your technology life as an admin. You want to live your technology life as a user. And when you need to become an administrator, you do your admin things. And then when you're done doing your admin things, you go back down to just being a regular user. You password protect the administrator rights to that device so that nobody can just right click and run as administrator like I'm about to. And then when <laughs> you can feel the suspense, <laughs> feel when the I tension. click this, it's going to be, it's going to be given full admin privileges and you're going to see what the malware does. All right. Brrr, who's ready? Gotta give me a drum roll on the, <laughs> the count. All right. We're going to run this, this live piece of malware right now. Here we go. Running as administrator. Oh, I got to say yes. Well, I have one more chance to not ruin this machine. So that's kind of a, a a neat thing that Microsoft put into place. So without further ado, here we go. Oh, no, nothing happened. Oh, there we go. So we got some things that just appeared on the desktop. Okay. They're read me, read me files. What is this? You know, whatever. Oh, and then I got a, what is this? A decryptor.exe. This is some kind of decryptor some file that just appeared want to decrypt hmm so it's kind of neat they made a play off of the name hmm. do you want to decrypt your files so so far it doesn't look like anything's happened up oh, cosmo cosmo no longer is a picture of a cat now cosmo has just some kind of weird you know jpeg iconification but it's actually not the picture anymore so we don't know what's going on in the background. We don't know what's happening as this thing is now running rampant through my system here. And I have no idea what's taking place. Oh, man. Yep. This, this uh, tool actually has a neat validation, a parameter check. And so uh, forensic experts can use their tools to and there's a there's a tool called uh oh uh, what happened stuff just deleted yep there we go it's deleting all my stuff now uh. um yeah and it's and then this this back this desktop background uh this is a flare uh vm desktop it has a bunch of tools and this is all again course material designed by the cyber mentor uh for his forensic and malware analysis uh, course uh oh uh. oops all my files have been encrypted so if you've ever seen this page I'm so sorry that you have because this is just a, a disheartening feeling. They've given you a, a given me a countdown timer. Um, I have two days and 24 hours, basically. In three days, what's going to happen is all of my files are going to be permanently locked, and I have no way to recover them. So they kindly gave me uh, a Bitcoin wallet to go ahead and send the payment over to if I if I just you know. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay. But you have no guarantee that they're going to pay. But look, they gave us a contact us form. <laughs> oh, how nice. Yeah. yeah. So you can copy their Bitcoin wallet. You can send the payment over. I, you know, I wouldn't do it. But what happens right. on a lot of people's computers is this wanted decrypt executable gets caught by your antivirus. It gets, it, it gets recognized by your AV as this is a malicious file and we got to get rid of this. 
Well, then what happens is if all you see on your screen is this text right here, oops, your important files are encrypted. If you see this text, but you don't see the wanted decrypt exe, your antivirus removed the decryption software, or you just deleted it from your computer. You're like, I don't know what this is. I don't want to decrypt anything. Well, they've put in a way to prevent you from using antivirus to stop this because it's too late. All your files are encrypted. So wow. if I if I try to open the Cosmo JPEG, it's now encrypted with a WNCRY file extension. What do I do? I can't even open my poor, you know, the little kitty cat picture. And so uh, you, your antivirus will get rid of this, but it prevents you from decrypting. So you have to restore it back to your computer and then follow their process to get your files decrypted. And so, you know, you have a choice now, like when your files are going to be lost, September 9th um, uh, at one thirty-two, all the files on this poor little machine are going to be gone. Cosmo is going to be lost forever. And so <laughs> this is what it, it looks like. So you notice right away, nothing happened. Like at first it was just quiet. It was just whatever. Then we saw some things appear. We saw some files appear and then we saw some files disappear and things just started happening. So you may not even see the what we call IOCs or what the industry calls IOCs, indicators of compromise. You may not even see that mm. happening. And right. as you're, you're progressing, uh, I was kind of making a point before, if you have some type of device that looks for these types of malware and these ransomwares, and it prevents them from reaching out to their command and control server, they'll just sit quiet and wait. They'll sit quiet and not do anything. They won't, they won't fully execute. And it's because the developers of the malware have put into it the ability for the, the ransomware and the malware to just sit there and, and know uh, they have some kind of detection. I have to wait until I'm in a safe environment, a safe for the malware environment mm. before it actually detonates. And so this was looking for, in the course, there's um, uh, an application and, and uh, malware analysis, uh, analysts use this. It's called INET SIM. And literally what it does is it, it simulates the internet. And so it actually checks, is INET SIM in use? Am I in a sandbox? Am I in a place where, mm. you know, somebody's trying to analyze me? And so they use it as a defense mechanism to keep their malware from being reverse engineered and figure out all the, you know, checks and balances that are in place so that, you know, good guys can defeat this stuff and keep it from happening. And so it, it has intelligence built into it. So it looks for these things and it says, am I in a safe environment? Can I detonate? It says, am I in a virtual machine? Am I in a virtual machine? If I'm in a vir mm. virtual machine, I don't want to detonate because I don't want them to know how my code works and I want them to wow. be able to research it. So you may not That's see it happen. Crazy. Yeah. Wild stuff. How they, how they do this. And then, you know, there's some really great minds, but they're just using them terribly, you know, for, for evil purposes. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Man. Live malware. Okay. <laughs> so everybody can I feel breathe. Like, now. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like this is a great segue to the next question. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? <laughs> like, yeah, what do you do what? next? Like, so say something, you get ransomware like this or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, wh what do you do? Like, no, you obviously, mean? you're not supposed to just delete the thing. Like, that's not going to help. Yeah. So let me exit out of here and I'll show you. So in this case, um, because I have a, I've taken a snapshot of this virtual machine. What I'm going to do is I'm going to power off the machine and I'm going to restore that snapshot. So this, this snapshot is essentially just a backup, right? And so with ransomware, they're going after everything that it can reach within, you know, kind of arm's length. It, it has, some of the ransomware has the ability to pivot through the network and tunnel out and, and dig and find 
things that may be connected, uh, connected drives, connected, you know, folders, things like that. And so essentially all I'm going to do is return this machine to the state that it was before we detonated the malware. And all I have to do is uh -huh. hit okay. The machine itself is going to reboot. Uh, as soon as that machine reboots, you'll see that it, uh, actually you won't see it reboot because I have that, uh, I just restored it. I didn't actually restart it. And so okay. I'll bring this back up here, but so it shows that I have it in a pre-detonation state. I'm going to go ahead and turn it on. And this is all, so this is essentially a backup. I've taken a good known backup of this computer and detonated the malware. I got infected by the malware. Oh no. But now because I have a good useful backup, I'm able to just wipe it and then restore mm. just like it never even happened. And so in a second here, you'll see our little picture or actually the instructor's picture of Cosmo here. And you'll see that the machine is uh, basically restored to its pre malware, you know, values. And so if you have a good back, oops, I just clicked me cancel. If, uh, if you have a good backup, it's just that easy to restore your machine. So you don't have to pay the ransomware. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Backups are important. So mm -hmm. the first thing though, just like you saw, I was disconnected. I was not connected to an environment that, that this could reach out further and further affect all my other machines. I don't think you're going to go through all that. The The easiest, quickest thing is to disconnect that from the internet period. Shut your Wi-Fi mm. off on the device. Disconnect the, the ethernet cable from the device. Just stop letting them have control if they do have a re remote access tool built in. Because you, you couldn't tell if the malware put a rat on there. All you know mm. is that your files are encrypted. So is there a rat? Is there not a rat? I have no idea cut off their access, isolate that, that device. And then the best thing you can do is hire a pro to, to look into, you know, restoring the service. And so what they'll do is they'll sanitize the drives. They'll sanitize the connection, whatever it is that you have that has been compromised. A pro is probably your only, you know, your safest recourse, unless you're a pro, then you already know the steps that you can take. But in the short term, those are things that you're going to want to do immediately. Get that device off the network, keep it from spreading to the other devices and other you know, members of your family for that matter. And then the long term, you got to learn from what caused that hack. Like what, what, <laughs> what, what right. was my number one error? As you Don't saw. Don't be insane yeah. and do the same thing. <laughs> over and over. Yeah, as you saw, that malware couldn't just run, right? I, right. I, this machine, uh, was running as a limited user who had admin privileges. So I had to run that piece of malware as an administrator. And then mm -hmm. I had another confirmation window that said, yeah, 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 I'm good. I want to run it. And then when I ran it, then it was given full privileges. So, uh, Microsoft, even, uh, Mac OS and Ubuntu, they all have kind of that user access control, that UAC window that pops up now and says, hey, it's, it, it looks different on all the different operating systems, but there's some other check in place. Like, are you really sure? Do you trust? <laughs> you know, and if your gut is like, you know, oh, am I? Ask somebody else, ask an expert, right. have somebody analyze it. There's a website called Virus Total. You can literally take that file and drag it to virustotal.com, dump it on their site and let them inspect it. Learn from what caused it and then try not to take those steps again. Uh, learn some cyber basics uh, and and key indicators, what they look like, right? So a lot of people are getting from their from their jobs or day-to-days, they're getting training to like recognize what phishing is. And, and if I say the word mm -hmm. phishing and you're familiar with that term, you've already kind of done this in your life. You don't have to be an IT expert. You don't have to be a hacker like me. 
you can just learn some of the basic things and educate yourself. And I, and I go back to this, this analogy, the riding the bike thing and, and why arc cyber exists. And it's not just for children. This is for everybody. You wouldn't give the child keys to a motorcycle and let them go. You would put them on an age appropriate, you know, bike or a, a big wheel or a trike, whatever, and let them then use the, the thing. A lot. There's so many inexperienced people on the internet, millions and millions of people who have no idea how dangerous the internet is. And, right. and I actually have found a, a whole side, like a side hustle of helping people that just don't know what they're doing. And this is what arc cyber is, right? A whole nother side thing of being able to just try to help make people smarter on and use the internet safer because they don't think it's that bad of a place. We grew up with the internet, you know, and you know, you and I, we, we did grow up with it. And now the younger generations and all that, everybody's experiencing it. And literally everybody's handing the keys to a brand new Harley to their children. And the children are growing up with this thing and they're just using it thinking, Oh, you know, safe this and safe that. And, you know, oh, it's fun to watch all the fun videos and it's fun to, you know, be able to connect and it's fun to be able to get educated. And it's, fun. it is, it absolutely is that the things yeah. that the, you know, this technological technologically advanced world has brought are amazing yeah. but it, it's it's dangerous absolutely dangerous and yeah. until they you know give themselves that little bit of education and you don't want the education to come on the other side of a compromise on yes. the other side of a hack you want to kind of have right. a little bit of knowledge like oh that's what the clutch is for oh that's what the brake yep. is for right no right no, you don't want to yeah. and then one of one of my wife says this all the time. She's like, "You always think so negative about people." I'm like, oh, "It's because I I know a lot about people from. You know, right. I was in the military. I've seen you know the 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 dark side of the world. I just say be skeptical of everyone, even even us, right? Don't just take what I say at at full. Look into it yourself and see. Like, man, is this actually true? Is it really ransomware? Go to sure. these sites. Go to CrowdStrike. Go to Trend Micro. Look, pick uh, other sources for yourself and see what. If, if what I'm saying is true, vet it yourself and, and then just, you know, do that. And then don't, don't trust every email. Don't trust every phone call. Don't trust every messenger, right? When, so, when a valid platform needs to reach out to you, they're not going to do it over those insecure methods, right? And, and more than mm -hmm. likely, they're not going to do it at all. They're not going to reach out to you and say, we need your information. You got to give us your information. And if they are a legitimate platform, they will never, ever ask you for your password, ever, period. They don't Actually, they, they explicitly say, yeah. we will never do yeah. this. 100%. So, <laughs> yeah. if, if they're right. asking you to put your credentials into something, it's not real. Yeah, no. It's fake. You you don't do it into something that I've handed you. Yes, please enter your password into this thing here. Trust me. Right. Yeah, you don't. Right. You, they <laughs> have. They it. have. They have all they need. Yeah. They just need you. You just need to go to the site yourself. Don't go to the thing that they've provided for you to just conveniently enter your credentials here. They're stealing your information. Right. And then yeah. put 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 mitigators in risk. Right. This is another thing that you can do <clears throat> after the attack. You know, as you're picking up all the pieces, but you don't want this to happen again. You want to put mitigators in place. And so I have, I'm, I'm working with some people who I am trying to help them reduce their attack surface, right? That's in my, in my full-time job, as I design and help solution these things, we put 
things into place that mitigate as much risk as possible. We don't just say, here's the wide open, dirty internet. Yeehaw, everybody get on after it. <clears throat> no, business, business spends billions of dollars on cyber experts and blue teams and red teams and, and research and cyber this and cyber that because it, they realize having the wide open dirty on their enterprise infrastructure was costing them millions of dollars in losses. And so they put these things into place. Now, home users haven't woken up to the fact yet that they need to do something. They need to do something to put these mitigating um, risk re reducers in place. So putting a DNS filter on, like we talked about on the previous episodes, putting a parental control platform of some kind in place, using a managed router service, using using something to reduce the attack surface that that just every the average home user is exposed to. So that those are some things. And there's a great website. It's a uh, CISA.gov, the CISA.gov. It's uh, the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency. They publish uh, some things that you can go to. A lot of people, you know, they don't trust government websites, but this actually has some pretty basic things that you can do. And so they recommend turning on multi-factor authentication. We talked about that on the, one of the, um, pre, the the browser hacking password episode. Updating your software, right? We talked about that. Keep your software up to date. Think before you click and use strong passwords. And so those are their, their four basic recommendations. The the CISA, CISA.gov, uh, we'll put a link to that um, site in the description of the show notes. But you can go there, read. Just, just get a little bit more familiar with this Harley Davidson that you're riding and understand that it's it's a dangerous but fun piece of equipment if you are are well trained and versed in how to operate it properly. Anyone who is listening, I would recommend checking out that link, but also just reaching out to Sean. I feel like uh, this is literally his world, and he helps you set up your devices and everything to help mitigate things, and he does it for free. So go to arccyber.com click the free consultation fill out the form go do that but also as a reminder his services this podcast the resources we're making it is crowd funded please consider paying it forward we'd really appreciate it so we can make more content like this